Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from via Zoom from his home, I believe, in St. George, is my friend Josh Pedersen. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Um, This is a podcast we're going to talk about Josh's book. Um, It's part of a Kickstarter. If you're not aware of that, we'll talk about what a Kickstarter is. But just by way of introduction, I'd like to introduce my guest. Josh is 30. He's gay. He has served a mission. He is no longer attending church or really connected with the church, but he's supportive of the church um, for those that it works. He's not trying to draw other people out of the church. Um, Our hope, well, let me tell more about Josh's career. He is a professor at Dixie State University in digital design and is teaching a lot of the things I wish I understood better, like Adobe and Illustrator and um, some of these great programs that bring so much beauty. Is that okay for an introduction, Josh? Yeah, that's great. So, um, listeners, in the first part of this podcast, we're going to talk about the book. Then we're going to have Josh tell a story, and then we're going to end with the book. And part of the podcast, to be honest, is to, if you feel so impressed, is to donate to Josh's Kickstarter campaign. We'll talk about that. Um, But let's talk about the Kickstarter in the book. Yeah. The book is is been a process. It's been a long. It's been over two years since I actually sat down, and until we actually had it fully legalized, um, all the work that you don't think about, like the ISBN numbers and all that fun stuff, uh, to the illustrations, to having it having Easter eggs on every page, to honor uh, queer history to honor all the people that paved the way proudly before and to honor the people that are still, you know, today moving forward with that process. So the main, the main message really of the book is that I would say it's for people to gain like there it's, how do I say this? I would say, that we, I started from empathy always, right? Like that's like the basis, even when you're designing something, I always say, if you don't have empathy for who you're designing for, you're going to miss out on something. So it's fully, it was fully based on empathy and it's aimed towards LGBTQ individuals that are struggling to find their voice when they are ready to come out. Um, But it also is to help enlightened families and the close friends of every person that's navigating that coming out process. So I would say it is a message of hope and bravery as well as a message of understanding on both sides, you know. It's a reminder of love between parent and child, best friends, family members, that love is the greatest gift of all. So no sides, just love is really what sums the book up. Like if you can make, yeah, thank you. It's really, if you can make that decision to, and before we didn't have like, there wasn't a lot of media when I came out 
and even prior to that. And so it's kind of the book that I wish that would have been there for me uh, when I, you know, was going through that, that struggle, you know. It's so needed. And I've recognized that um, in my own life, LGBTQ voices have really helped me know how to better lift the burdens of LGBTQ people. So I'm really glad you're doing this. Talk about a Kickstarter for anybody that's not aware of that. Yeah, a Kickstarter is, is it's a platform, it's a website that has been around for quite a while now, but it isn't as used as much as like uh, sites that you hear like GoFundMe. GoFundMe is, is, it's a great site. I know a lot of people use it, but it is, I call it classy, classy begging, first world begging. Kickstarter, you actually get a product. It's like a mini investment. You're helping something get off the ground. So you can go on Kickstarter and look through all the different things that people have done or made. And instead of going the route of, say, traditional publishing, which I originally was going to do, but all the literary agents that I spoke to that actually liked the book said they wouldn't be able to look at it till 2023. And the time was now, you know, we wanted to even release it last year for Pride when everyone was struggling with COVID and stuck in their homes and give some hope for that. And unfortunately, I am detail oriented enough that I was like, let's wait and do it when it's when it's really well done and nice. Tell our listeners how to when the I know with these Kickstarters, you've got to get all this money, no one, and then there's a deadline. You've got to raise yeah. so much money by a certain date. Tell so us that date. To, if you would, if you go to Kickstarter, you could type in on Google, or you can just go to kickstarter.com and you can type in out, not in, and the book will pop right up. And right now, as of this morning, uh, we are at 26,100, which is great. I mean, we had a donor last night anonymously. I don't know who they are, but they donated $10,000. Wow. Which is really nice. You can donate anywhere from, that was a very unique situation. Uh, the main donation, the most that we get is the one for $25. And that buys you a book. So you'll get a hard cap, like a hardback, really nicely done. Um, every page is hand lettered. So there's no typefaces in it. The, the uh, illustrator that I hired is actually a past student of mine. And she is a really nice, uh, I underestimated her when I first met her. She came into my class in 2018. It was an upper division class. And she was turning some stuff in that she, we were doing for front-end development on websites. And she turned in, I had them create their own portfolio website, you know, that's important to be able to have to share with people when you're looking for a job. And she was turning some stuff in. And I'll be honest with you, I ran it through Google goggles and all the software out there that is for plagiarism, just because it was really, really good. And I didn't mean that offensively, but like, she was a, definitely a higher caliber of work than most of the students that age, you know? She was, when I met her, she was 19. 
So, and she was turning in some amazing stuff and I hadn't ever seen anything like it. And so I, I actually messaged her and said, can we talk after classes really quick? Um, and no one likes to get a message like that because it can either mean it doesn't really, when someone sends you a text, it's like, can I talk to you? It's not always the best thing, you know? But she was polite enough to say, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I said, Faith, your work is incredible. Like, I have to be honest, like I have looked it up to see if it is your work. And and we laughed and she's like, yeah, I, it's, it's my work. Uh, and I'm just, and I was like, wait, you hand lettered all of this. Like, this is your handwriting. Like she can do mult, like script. She can do full sans serif. She can do serif. And I'm like, this is your handwriting? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, we need to make this a font so you can sell it. Like, you're that gifted. Like, she showed me just on the iPad with a, with an Apple Pencil, just how she d- works. And she works in a program called Procreate. But she started showing me some of the stuff she could do. And I was like, my mind just went boom. And she asked me... Uh, how like some questions about getting a job and I love that she started her own company and then would pay herself in sweat equity so on a resume her company is called artsy affirmations on Instagram and that's where you can find her but she just started doing like little like sayings that were like affirmations but with her handwriting and then one day I think it was it was either cosmopolitan or allure one of those beauty magazines um, that's like a little bit smaller, they picked it up and put it on their uh, their website and it exploded. Like now she never gets less than 20,000, 25,000 likes on any, on any post. And it's just her handwriting and fun color. Wow. And that's Faith Hanky. Is that how we say that's her name? Faith Hanky. Yep. And she has a, her personal Instagram is Faith Hinky, but the one that she really sends people to is the artsy affirmations. So we had the idea, once we decided that we weren't going to go the route of traditional publishing, um, just because that route is the easiest if they will pick up your book, right? Um, and the nicest thing is that a lot of people really like the book. So that was a good the, the 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 agents that were impressed that was good feedback for me um i just didn't want to wait until february or january of 23 when does the kickstarter end if someone's listening to this podcast so they so the kickstarter we have 23 days left today and we are raising it sounds like a ludicrous amount of money um but we ran the numbers uh I had actually my brother-in-law who is in uh, finance. Like he is, all he can think about is numbers. So our, let me go and look really fast so I can tell you a live number of where we are at. Kickstarter, we are at right now $26,147. 
and we need to gain, uh, our goal is $92,024. By what day? If people, people won't be listening to the podcast the day we're recording. So if they're listening to it in right. one, two, three weeks from now, what's the end date? Of course. It, the end date would be, the end date is Tuesday, July 6th. Okay, there you go, listeners. If you're listening to this before Tuesday, July 6th, and you would like to contribute towards this Kickstarter, we'll link to the Kickstarter in the podcast description. Josh has um, shared it with you. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah, and you can donate anywhere. Like if you don't have, if you don't have $25 to donate for a book, we made some really cool vinyl stickers that are matte. We made pins, like enamel pins. From they're all illustrations from the book as well. So those are five dollars, ten dollars. So you get a reward no matter what, but it's going towards a good cause. And then basically when you buy a book, we're able to donate two books to public schools, libraries, and then uh, I'm working closely with InCircle. Good. And our goal is to really get books in those houses, you know, for so they're, a, you know, a resource for people so they know about it because there really is a deficit. Uh, the more research that I did on queer history out there, um, there's a deficit for literature that's friendly for all ages. And that was that was a challenge for me when writing this was I didn't it's a touchy enough subject that I wanted it to be like sometimes like I love some of the more adult humor or adult, uh, maybe you could slightly say they're a little bit adult or vulgar humor that are still illustrated at places like Urban Outfitters. or And those books are funny, but I thought, I don't want this subject is so special and like dear to me that let's make it, let's make it for everyone. So That's you could feel safe to read it to anyone. It's really so. insightful, really thoughtful and really needed. Yeah, we I had to really and every single page has Easter eggs on it to, like I said, honor people. And it was really it sounds like a lot, uh, but it was really fun to do all the history to honor people like Gilbert Baker, who came up with the pride flag in 1971. So we honor him in there in a secret little way. And we honor Harvey Milk in a little way. So every page has um special things on it that make it i think really unique so it's definitely worthy of any coffee table or library or bookshelf anywhere sure i think you're willing for the i think it takes five minutes to read the book i think you're willing to read the book for our listeners i would yeah i would love to um it's much more impactful with the illustrations so that's why i would encourage you to go to the Kickstarter and help us out so we can make this a reality and help, you know, classrooms around. We're, we're, we're focusing on Utah, uh, mainly because uh, of my own story that we can talk about in a little while. But I know the suicide rate in Utah is extremely high. It's, it's basically first in America. And in the world, Japan is leading, but it's not that great of a stat when it's a whole country versus a state, you know? So that has always been a hard thing for me because I've lost a few friends that were close. 
So I'm like three people that didn't need to feel that way. Uh, they're gone. And that's been, that, that has not been easy to like come to terms with. Um, especially when I've struggled with those own thoughts when I was a teenager, you know? It's honest. So, uh, yeah, that is, that's that. But yeah, I would love to read it to you. Is that all right? That'd be great. I think our listeners okay. would love it. Okay. Thank you, Richard. So I will start uh, right now. The dedication page is important. Uh, so it's called Out Not In. To all parents who, despite vast differences, chose love over all else. And then I, I, have, I dedicated it to three people. So to all those who came before me, paving the way by proudly being themselves. And finally, to all the friends who were kind to me before it was cool to have a queer friend. So that is... Love that. That is super important. So out of 8 billion humans on earth, you're custom built, the only one on the planet to take life to the hilt. And now that we've opened this book and begun, you should know that this narrative is for everyone. Let us start this way. Humans are not always kind. Sometimes they're just not in their right mind. They can bring pain and sadness, even make you feel dumb. But how is this possible? You're unique, one of one. Not to stress, not to worry, for they are quite wrong. No matter their words, you will always belong. And since you are you, so special, so bright, you are a gift to all, a true loving delight. At first, you might feel you've been given a burden to bear that you have secrets or confusion you don't quite know how to share. You may feel different. Don't forget, that's okay. I think you were given a star from the vast Milky Way. You might feel bullied, outcast, or scared. That life gave you a test and you came unprepared. But at the start of the day or the end of the night, Please remember that different doesn't mean wrong or right. It just means your future hasn't quite come into the light. You may have liked toys that were different from peers, maybe shame for your feelings. It was just so unclear. As you get older, your feelings get stronger, yet you still can't explain, like when the weather forecasts sun and all you get is rain. Those feelings are not bad. They make you unique. Don't ever let anyone make you feel less, call you names, or tell you you're weak. When it's time, you may want to share how you feel. No need to rush. They're yours, and you know they are real. You may live in a place where it feels safe to say what you like, or perhaps you do not, and you're afraid of embarrassment and dislike. But you know, deep down, how good it feels to be true, especially when you look in the mirror and the mirror smiles back at you. Here are some wisdoms, some old and some new, that could possibly help with a hard decision or two. Pause for a moment and think of your kin, the ones that you love, the family you're in. 
Think of your parents. Think of the shoes they walk in. Most likely, they don't know how you feel. Suspicions may be so, but you are the only one that can truthfully let them know. First, if it is possible, tell them together. The reasons are many, but why say it twice and risk one feeling lesser? You may not have the option to do so. That is perfectly fine. Remember, these are just notes, not rules carved into a sign. Second, pick a date where you can be queen, a date that only you have foreseen. Not a wedding or Christmas, and especially not Halloween. Things might not happen the way you expected. That's why you don't want holidays connected. Save yourself the strife and pick a date that affects only your life. Third, for this special talk, let friends sit this one out. I promise you've got this 100%, no doubt. Give your time. Give your parents time to hear and react to what you have said, to process and think, what's next? What's ahead? This won't be easy. It would be much more comfortable unsaid. But remember, unlike you, they haven't had numerous nights filled with anxiety and dread. For you have had years of turmoil and ache, turbulent waves on a calm summer lake. You've released the real you. This is who I am, water released from a confining dam. But you did it. You said it. You need only once. Now all you desire is simple acceptance. This is as brave as you've been. You should be proud. Feel relief. Feel endowed. These feelings run deep and have caused much sorrow, but coming out gives you hope of a better tomorrow. Feel brave you did it, a trek harder than Kilimanjaro. After can be hard, it can take time for some to adjust. If there is anger or meanness, take a minute, walk away if you must. It takes strength to be loving, not maddened, especially if you feel that you've been abandoned. For those around you who don't understand, let them know that you love them then take pride and expand. Sorry, this part gets me always. It's unlikely that one person will ever be loved by all, but you can love others, love you, have courage and stand tall. For you are no different than before, just the battle inside you lives on no more. You are the same brave human you always have been. You are the same brave human, just out, not in. And that is just out, or that's out, not in. Thanks for listening to it. Wow. On behalf of our listeners, that was really moving, Josh. Um, I sense a lot of your story is in that, a lot of experiences. Um, I love your take on love and just love everybody. I think that book teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to turn this too much into 
a religious podcast, but I think that's a practical application of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to treat each other. Yeah. And I include, you know, it was hard uh, when you're writing it because no one likes the word, like, advice almost is negatively connotated. Um, And so I didn't want to do, like, tips or, you know, I subtly... Very sensitive. Like, yeah, I subtly put in here uh, just things that I've noticed. uh, It's happened a lot over the last... Ever since I came out, it's happened. And I stopped really counting after about 300. But I would get messages all the time. And it's always perplexed me why that was a thing. Um, But I would get messages about from parents or a friend or the individual themselves. And they're like, I think I messed something up. Or I think I did something wrong, you know? And the big, the big red flags were, have you thought about your parents? Like the empathy part right there, like put yourself, I know that's an idiom and it's something that is a cliche to say, oh, put yourself in someone else's shoes. But how about you just think of your loved ones, your family, your kin, and then the shoes they walk in. Like that's, if you can think about it from their perspective, you've had a lot of time to think about this and even come to the come to terms with the fact of verbalizing it. And so you got to think, you can't expect them to immediately, I mean, hopefully that's your goal is yes, I hope they immediately understand. But like I said, it takes strength to be loving, not maddened. If you know, you feel you've been abandoned, you can't, you can't feel like that. You got to say, if there's some ming, like walk away if you have to for a minute. Uh, but it's really important that you know, like that you let them know that you love them no matter what. So you have to be the bigger person. And that sometimes is even hard. That's even harder, you know, but the red flags that I would notice were always uh, the biggest red flag I would say is um, not telling both parents or whoever you're telling, but I don't think you owe it to anyone. But if you choose to, you know, say it if you're going to tell your parents and you have the option that they're both alive uh i feel very unique and we make jokes at our house all the time that my parents are still together uh we feel i feel like that's the not the norm anymore um and they joke like we don't know how we're still together either um but um if it is possible i always say yeah tell them you know tell them at the same time because why say it twice you know, and risk one feeling having a complex straight up. Like, and I've heard it from so many more dads than moms, but not by that many. Some are closer with their father than their mother. And, you know, if they don't tell them both, that other parent will always feel like, why did my kid not feel like he could come or she or they could come to me and say, a hard thing and it will always give them a complex you know it's going to make them and so i've had i've had some unique uh some unique stories from people of some have written emails i would never do that seems very business to me so i i sat down with my parents and just said can i take you to dinner and this was about a week after i came home to my, from my mission 
Um, and that was really hard. You don't really want to verbalize that, you know. Uh, but some people, if they have an estranged parent, that's why I say, like, you may not have the option to do so. Like, these aren't, it's just suggestions, you know. But if you can call both of them at the same day, if they're separated or somehow tell them the same day, you'll, it will take away the risk of one always feeling like that they wouldn't accept you or something, you know? I love that, Josh. And I love part of your book is being, and it seems what you are too, is being thoughtful of other people. Um, at the same time, making your way forward in an authentic way. And it's a very thoughtful approach. It's a very mature, um, needed approach. And to me, it just brings us together as the same human family. And um, talk about I, suicide, something we talk about on this podcast. You kind of mentioned you've lost friends to suicide. Absolutely. You kind of inferred you'd been in some dark places, um, maybe suicidal, maybe attempts. I don't know. You can share as much of that or not as you want to. But my question is more, um, what would you say to people listening right now that just feel no hope and feel suicide's their path? And they just, you know, they're just in a in an impossible situation. And the only thing that just leads them to think of they've lost hope and they're thinking of things like that talk to that group that group is you know that group is close to home so for me to give full advice on that is really hard um i would never want to be a hypocrite and say that i can you know there's always a reason to live and there's always hope because i've been in a place where it is it's dark and it was more when i was younger uh I knew that I was different for sure uh, in kindergarten, like as early as five. I didn't know why. I was always frustrated, really. I didn't know what was, how I was different. I just knew that I was. Uh, but I remember struggling through the years of, you know, turning 12 um, and you're going through those serious maturation phase where it's you know your turn your body's changing drastically you know you have testosterone and your body's changing and you don't really that's hard for anyone much less if you're you know part of the lgbt community you know um but then when you have like a weird your friends are talking you know locker room boy talk for my situation about the like vulgar things they've done with girls or anything like that. And you're like, I am I like on a different, like, I think I'm, I'm not on the same planet or like, I'm not, I haven't ever even thought about that. And I wasn't, the thing that's interesting is that I don't feel like I was like super sheltered as a child. Like our family's always been very, I'm, I would say our family's very liberal in the sense of, there was never like if we had questions, we could ask them. Uh, my parents on purposely built our family home so they'd be like, if you want to do drugs and alcohol, do it at our house. Like, don't do it at someone else's house. And that never really happened. And that was kind of their own genius in their own way. But they were always welcoming to everyone that would come to our house just because I think they wanted it to be a safe place. 
but also subconsciously they could say, yeah, you can do whatever you want. It just has to be here. And I always have appreciated that from them. But as far as suicide goes, I remember vividly, and I, I tell very few people this, but I was, I was 16. I was, 50, well, I was technically 15, really close to turning 16. And I was a lab tech at the uh, high school. And I was close friends with my teacher there. And he had showed me and taught us about cyanide. And I had no idea what cyanide, you know, first experience with that. Um, but yeah, I ended up, I had privileges because I was one of the, like an aide. And so I remember stealing some cyanide from the, the, the classroom, the lab. And because I, I knew how deadly he had, you know, made it sound. Uh, and I don't know why, but we, there's a, there's, the Virgin River is right behind our house. Um, I don't know why I thought I would go to the river and, you know, you know, get a pocket full of stones and pop some pills and call it a day. But that was my plan. And I was literally to the very end of the sidewalk before you cross the street to get to the river. And a friend who ironically, her name is Charity. <laughs> I didn't know her that well. She drove past with another, another girl in the car named Lisa. And they were super funny, just cool, really funny girls. And we had known each other at school, but we never really hung out. And they were just joking like, hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing down on this corner of the road? Like, come get ice cream with us. You know, we're going to Dairy Queen. Come get ice cream. And I was like, you have no idea what place I'm in right now. Like, I have no desire to go get ice cream. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, I was pretty adamant about it. And they were pushy enough for some reason that I got in the car with them and we went and got ice cream and just laughed the rest of the day. And it was really, I honestly, I honestly, I don't give God credit enough but in certain situations he deserves it like something that was an interference somehow because that is just too sometimes there's things in life that i'm like yeah i think everything is meant to be or like there's a reason for everything but that experience was huge because i came home and i i kept the note i still have a note i wrote a three-page letter basically saying like you know, we're judged in our thoughts, deeds, and actions. And I felt, you know, I'm gay. So no matter what, it's not going to work out for me. Like that was, my view was that narrow, you know. Um, and to those listening that are younger, uh, I the year I graduated, I graduated in 2008. And that's the year the, the iPhone came out in 2007. And I remember getting it. And it still was just a phone. There was no, the only even person that I'd ever known that was gay was from TV shows. So if I'd ever watched Sex in the City with my mom, I knew Stanford Blatch was her gay best friend, you know, or from Will and Grace. My parents would let us watch TV with them. My mom always looks back and is like, eh, that was a little old for you guys, but it was on and 
we just, you know, we watched it. And so, but I remember like Ellen and then, like I said, the two, the two characters before that was my, that was my whole, that was the only gay people I'd ever heard of. Like that was it. That was my world. And so my view was narrow, but I'm so thankful. And I, I didn't tell her till probably it was about five, maybe six years ago that I officially went to charity and was like, I came home that night and I kept the note. I thought maybe another time, but I flushed, I flushed the cyanide down the toilet and like, wow. Okay. Like my outlook changed for a minute, you know? And I, I give her a lot of credit and she's like, you know, I don't really even remember that day. That's the best part. She didn't remember, but I remember vividly because it's, you know, it was my life. So it's very, that was very weird that that happened. So I definitely, I definitely give God credit for that. Um, So, and from there, I think it, you know, I start, there was definitely like, I think everyone, um, some people don't, but I feel like there's an innate bullying factor uh, in middle school. But thankfully, I, I got some tough skin. Um, it takes only a few times of getting, you know, physically bullied before you, you're like, nah, no more, you know? So you get like a bit of that New Yorker skin, that tough skin. And I figured out that humor was going to be my way to deal with it. So even though I was very confused, I used humor as a deflect to become who I wanted to be. And so my sister and I are only uh, 16 months apart. So we were always kind of Irish twins. And we would always joke that now we still joke that she made out with all the boys because she was one of the head cheerleaders. So she got to make out with all the boys but I wanted to. So yeah, it's, we have, and it's funny when we talk with those boys now, there was only one that I ever had a really big crush on. And I remember coming home and she was in the hot tub with him making out. And I was crushed because this kid to me was like my, you know, my secret crush. And even now we talk about it and he just, we, he just laughs. Like we all just laugh. But I was so mean to my sister because I'm like, I felt like she had like cheated on my husband. Like, it was so funny. Like, I was so, (laughs) so dumb. I wouldn't drive her to school. My dad would get so mad. You know, he'd swear and be like, Stephanie, why are you driving right? Like, we bought him a car. Why are you buying him? Or why are you taking Jessica separately right behind him? Like, this is ludicrous, you know? <laughs> ludicrous is the nice word of saying it. There was a lot more four-letter words that were used than ludicrous. But, uh, and they didn't really understand why. Like, I'm sorry, like, I didn't mean, like, my sister doesn't know. Travis didn't know. I was just this anger inside me that I had. And they didn't know. And so I laugh because it's like, I was looking, I was the crazy person because it was some irrational anger. Um, but that's a, 
That's it's one of the things I love about your book is uh, as you read it, Josh, I thought of younger people pre you know, high school age and junior high that, and then I recognize if, if people come out earlier to me, that's an improvement in society because parents can walk with them. Family members can walk with them. Faith leaders can walk with them. Sometimes we point that's a sign of the last days or I just don't believe that. I think just as many are LGBTQ right now as there was 50 or hundred years ago, but in a positive way, society is improving so people can accept this part about them. And then I think, because what I call it the bottom of the iceberg stuff on that carpooling stuff, there was stuff below the icebergs. The behavior above the iceberg is what everybody was seeing and causing tension. And, but if you just address, but if you kind of put the behavior on the table and try to figure out as a parent, what's really going on here, which was impossible in this situation because you weren't ready to come out, then everybody could have understood. And it's possible everybody could have been where you and your sister and this guy are right now all laughing about it because it's just the reality of life is, you know, and so it's a great story. But I, I'm, you know, there's a lot of listeners that were in tears as you were talking about your trip to the Virgin River with cyanide in your pocket. And I know the Virgin River, for some reason, I've always loved that part of Southern Utah and the yeah. uniqueness of that river and um, that you went in that direction full of without hope and people coming into your life and a feeling God intervened and didn't solve this completely for you, but it pulled you out of the moment. And I think we have a rational side, a rational side of our head that's forward thinking and sometimes the pain and the hopelessness that emotional difficulties of this put you in a place. But I think talking about it like you just bravely did helps other people that feel the same way not feel they're alone. And then you're roughly 15 years. You're That's really the half point of your life right now that this happened. And um, I just look at your Instagram. I look at all your gifts. I look at you being a professor at Dixie State University. It's getting renamed and all the good you're doing in the world. And that's my message to those of you that feel you're <laughs> right next to the Virgin River on the end of a cul-de-sac right now is you, you've got to do anything you can to pull out of that. Read Josh's book, um, pray. Um, this world is better with you here. Even if you think that's not true, even if you think somehow you're messing up your eternal family because you're LGBTQ or your burden, it's, it's a big fat lie. And you need to stay here. And your older self, if Josh's older self could walk down the street at age 30, and talk to Josh's 15-year-old self with those cyanide tablets. And what would you say to your 15-year-old self if your 30-year-old self came up? Let's just pretend that you didn't recognize your... Be frank about what I'd say. I'd say, what the hell are you doing? Like, what are you doing, Josh? Come on. Like, you. the foresight is... It, it's just it's the education that and everything is so there's so many the older i get the more i see like how many people support like yourself richard like how you are, are fostering in an amazing way like you're just you're you you know you're a someone that you can feel safe to talk to and i love that uh you do a podcast out of your own like it's 
I think that's incredible because many people, it's just knowing that there's other people like that out there and that you're not alone. Like the world is so big. And I think that's why I love my mission so much is because I got to see that. I was like, oh, you know, and I had a really, I had a really great mission president that, um, tell us what your mission, I, I, Just notice, listeners, Josh, when that question I asked about what Josh would say to his younger self, he said some things, but then Josh, being the big-hearted guy that he is, he used that question to compliment me and what I'm doing. And that, you know, that's very kind to me, Josh, but it's also an insight to who you are and your good heart and your desire to, to, to lift other people along your journey. And that's what Christ did. And I think that's what you're doing. And so thank you for that kind comment towards me and the love you. I love what you said to your younger self. What the hell are you doing? What the hell yeah. are you thinking? And well, it would have been, yeah, it probably would have been even a stronger word than that. But <laughs> yeah, I would, have, I would have beat my, I would have slapped myself in the face and been like, There's a, it, wake up. There's a big world. But at that time, the, it's it's very different. That was very different. I mean, we're talking like you said, fifteen years no ago. No community, no iPhone, completely alone, with the exception of some telephone. Yeah, I mean, it was the only people you saw if they were on television. It wasn't St. George didn't have in circle. It, <laughs> yeah, there was no there was no groups. There was no uh, MySpace was a thing, but I wasn't really on it and then facebook kind of came and that like hit our generation hard because everyone had facebook now facebook is for eh, people my age (laughs) yeah yeah but (laughs) tell i just wish that like i wish for everyone that has felt that way and i don't know exactly um i just feel strong about mental health in general um because to say that i haven't considered it other times in my life too that was just the most significant one you know where i almost acted on it um but i've definitely been in dark times even with all the resources there are now so there's like it doesn't mental health is yes we have more resources and there's we can say out loud there's more people we can talk to or look up to that are happily proud and but at the end of the day, we're still human. We still doubt ourselves, or maybe we don't feel, um, like I said, when you look in the mirror, you know, maybe you're not, maybe you don't like what you see, or maybe you don't like who you are at the time. And that's hard, you know? That's a, that's a battle, I think, that anyone at some point is going to struggle with. And so to say that I haven't, that it's just been roses from here on out, no way. It's, hard every day it doesn't life is hard in general right but the nicest thing is that if you like i said the point of the book like if you can choose love over everything else but you have to const like like i said it's easy to say but you consistently have to remind yourself of that um with any relationship because they're hard they're not easy and sometimes people cross the line and I guess boundaries. Said, you got to walk away for a minute if that happens. But 
if it means a lot and if you can keep a relationship with at least one parent or sibling if that's the minimum they're always going to be there like that's your primary blood you know and if you can keep that if you can't keep it with your whole family or something is completely you know estranged or abusive or not healthy that's okay that's just life you know but as long as you can maintain and work at a relationship with hopefully one of your parents, if not both, they're always going to be there to back you up. Like, and you need that because sometimes it feels like you are alone, even though you're surrounded by people like, you know, that look up to you, but, or, you know, that value you as a person. But we don't always say that, you know, I think about people and I wish my brain could just send them a, you know, a text. Like, I'm thinking about you because I don't want to start a text thread with them at the moment because I'm, like, busy. So you don't always say it. But it's like, I thought about you today. I was thinking about you. I just forgot to say it, even though it's so easy. Um, but I wish we that I wish that we could more connect just really instantly. Maybe one day. Who knows? But I've tried to get better at like texting people when I actually think about them and saying, hey, I hope you're doing good. I hope your presentation goes well or whatever. Good luck, you know? Because just those like letting people know that, it only takes 30 seconds. But sometimes you just, you don't. I don't know why we don't as humans. We just, I know I don't all the time. So that's a great segment. And both Josh and I invite those that are suicidal, even if you don't feel there's a light at the end of the tunnel and nothing dramatic happens just to stay for one more day. We both promise, even though it may be hard to see that right now, that your older self would be glad you stayed if that person could talk to you. And that person had talked to you about um, all the people you're able to help because you've kind of been in a dark spot and you know that world authentically like Josh does and you can help other people. Um, I find it fascinating that you went out to dinner with your parents. Did you say one week after your mission um, and came out to them? And I want to give your parents a shout out because I think they created a culture in your family. Maybe by even letting you watch those shows or being transparent and real or saying, if you're going to do drugs and alcohol, do that at home. I think they created a culture where you felt safe compared to others to come out to them. And I think your mom and dad sort of did that equally, I sense. And so you felt comfortable one week after your mission to take them out to dinner. And I think it's a credit to you, Josh, but I think it's a credit to your parents. And I think parents, that's why when we create a culture where we're loving and accepting, we say kind things about other people. And we even say if our circle of love is so big that if you feel your path is to drugs and alcohol, we want you to do that here. It's not inviting you to drugs and alcohol, but it just sends a message about you're safe and this is a safe place. And yeah, it sounds like you didn't do drugs and alcohol. So, no, not at home. <laughs> not at home. Anyway. But I just, I don't know if your parents are listening. You've given them some shout outs, but I just think they have done a great job. Um, they have. And but we had to work really hard at it. Yeah. It wasn't, it, it wasn't an immediate. Good point. And your book kind of talks about that. Yeah, no, it wasn't immediate. Like, it wasn't like I can't, I would be, I would be lying to say if that it was immediate, you know? 
we had to work and then set some boundaries as well as it went on because I not when you're religious, no matter, you know, if you're religious and you're gay, then you're coming out, but you also have to discuss, well, I feel like this might not align with my lifestyle anymore. Right. And so and you know, you just come home from your mission and you're worse. Like I went to London, so I became far worse than when I went as far as knowing about the world. Like, <laughs> That's funny. I would argue that definitely over any city in the world, London and all of England in general is the most eclectic place you could ever go. It was rare to find a British person. That's true. Some of the big cities. You talk about your mission present for a second, because we're coming up on the hour mark. And I yeah, no, sure. I'd love to. Uh, he... he sounds like he was very, very helpful for you, and he did. I don't know if you were out to him, but he he sort of created space for you to be you. He um, he knew uh, in the sense that, like, I he knew he knew. Okay, uh, it was never really vocalized. I never said the words "I'm gay" to him. But in letters that I would write to him, I would mention, I had said though, I had written that, but I had never said it to him. So he knew and talk about why. It's like my mom. She's like, I knew when you were three. And I was like, well, no. and when I came out and then we had conversations much thereafter. And I'm like, why didn't you just say like, or call me out? Like you're gay. And she's like, well, I didn't want to give you a complex for your whole life if you're not gay. And at age 17, I ask you, you're gay, and then you're not. But you're like, well, why does my mom think I'm gay? But I think we always joke kids... that it was a surprise that was never a surprise. That's and yet I worried about it. Like, like I said, numerous nights of anxiety and dread or whatever. Like, you're like, they're not going to love me anymore. Like, it's, it's the biggest thing ever. And at the end of the day, it wasn't. And they, you know. And my advice yeah. to parents, I think, is to just, if you think you've got an LGBT kid, don't force the issue unless you feel really strong personal revelation. Let them come out on their own terms. But you can create a culture where you're saying kind things about all people, mix in some yeah. LGBTQ, and it just sort of telegraphs is the right word or creates a feeling that, okay, my mom and dad are kind of saying kind things about everybody. Um, and I fit in one of those. So it may speed up the process. So you can walk with that kid earlier. Talk yeah. about your mission present. Your mission present knows you're gay. Yeah. You haven't actually had the conversation, but he does some things that are helpful for you. He did. Um, I am a pupil person in general. So I liked all of my, I had of the 11 companions I had. I only didn't get along, like, I still liked two that I didn't get along with that well, but I still respect them. But I'm in touch with all of the other ones still to this day. It's cool. So they're all European. It's interesting. The two I didn't get along with were from the States. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, my mission president is very unique. He was a convert himself. He grew up in Long Beach, California. Uh, he's six, six foot five, massive, like tall, tall basketball dude. Um, but he got people. 
Um, and I find it interesting in some, like just the stories that I've heard about other people's missions, some lean really strongly towards the letter of the law. And then some are more on the opposite of the spirit of the law. And so the president, thankfully, I didn't have to have two. I came in the same time that my measure president came in. So I had him the whole, the whole duration of the two years. But the president, measure president before him was very, very letter of the law. Like all those elders were like, who's this new guy? He's so lax. Like, and I find it, it after the end of President Ogden, I feel like they brought in another mean, not mean, but a much more strict mission president at the end to like bring it back. I don't know how it works, but he was perfect for me because had I been under a mission president that was very strict, like I can count not, I can, I have, I need an extra finger, but 11 times that I should have been sent home for just unorthodox teaching or behavior or straight up leaving the mission to go to an Amy Winehouse concert or whatever. And he was so funny in our, in our last interview, I thought I was so sneaky. I still don't know how he knows because I know a lot of my companions didn't snitch on me. Um, but he knows. So I'll give God credit for that for, he can let him know he was very wise, but he knew, um, he said, you're the only, you're the only missionary. Our mission was small. We had about 118 missionaries. Uh, we had six sisters and the rest were elders. So a small mission. Um, but he said, I never in like, since I've been mission president with you, uh, I've never received more like hate mail about when I move you to a different area because you made friends with people so easily. So not to say we, like, I, my philosophy was like, I don't really want to knock doors today. So what if we just go buy a ton of popsicles or ice lollies uh, and go hang out by the castle and just have people come hang out with us and hand out popsicles. And they would literally just sit and laugh and we would joke. And it was a, it was trying to get them to just see us in a positive light rather than you know, the two dudes, everyone knows in England who missionaries are. They've been there forever. So every door has been knocked a thousand times, you know? So my thing was like, if you can't change them, at least make them have a good outlook on the church and be nice to them. Make friends with them. Because you never know. Then might be might down the line, they'll be like, sure, like I would join. So my philosophy was like, these, you know, you have to see people for who they are and their circumstances. And so he said to me, I, you know, like I never received so many letters when you leave a place. Like, why did you move? Why did you move Josh? And why, you know, why did you move or Elder Pedersen? I would let people call me Josh if they wanted. I didn't, it was either or for me, but he said to me, he's like, I know all about, you know, some of the stuff you've done. Um, and I'm like looking at him, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is like a joke. I'd always play a coy with him sometimes. Uh, but he says, the reason I didn't send you home is because you understand, you understood people. You got along with almost 
all of your companions extremely well. And most importantly, I know if I sent you home that the shame and the guilt surrounding coming, you know, getting sent home from a mission would make you angry. And I wanted you to leave with apathy, not anger. And I cannot, I have no words because I respect him so highly for that. Because that, you know, I was in a newsletter with 44 other missionaries that went to high school with me. And they were all over. Um, and it was kind of like the peer pressure, like, you know, you have to go. And I feel like another reason I, where I give God super credit is that he sent me to England. Like that was a mission that I was able to do, you know? I couldn't have gone to Guatemala for health reasons and also because I wouldn't have lasted in Guatemala. I wouldn't have lasted in some of those places. Even though I'm strong, I could, I probably could, but sometimes my friends would send me stuff of what they were doing and eating. And I had, at the 44, we were all over the whole world. So we would, every month, this newsletter that one of the moms would put together, we'd see it. And I was like, wow, I got, I feel very blessed to be with the people of England. And it's, you know, a lot of my heritage anyway. And I just loved them. I fell in love with the country and all different cultures. And the fact that he just recognized that, that kind of, you know, that level of shame when you're that young is so strong, especially if then all the other missionaries know that you're friends with and their parents. It's, you know, you grow up in a Mormon society. That's like one of the worst things that could happen to you, you know? Because it looks like you don't care, you know? And it's, and I don't say that to, you know, that again was back then. And nowadays I think it's the church is a lot more open about like saying, if it's not a right thing for you, then don't do it, you know? Or a service mission or they're, I feel like they're more open. I feel like, and they probably were, I don't know, what are your feelings on that? Well, I, I can answer that question. I just, and we're coming um, on the hour mark, but. I just, I love your mission president. I think you mentioned Ogden, so I'll use his name too. And just yeah. that I think our scriptures teach we each have gifts of the spirits, we each have talents. And I think one of the responsibilities of leaders and parents is to use those talents in an appropriate way to bring people into Christ. And there's no doubt in my mind, Josh, that your approach brought people into Christ. And my advice to missionaries leaving is to you know, I don't give them a big checklist anymore. I said, just love the people. And if they feel that love, that genuine, non-agenda, unconditional love, and they, to me, that often draws them to the healing um, doctrine of the atonement, um, and our restored doctrine of heavenly parents that love us and personal revelation. And I love that that mission president, I don't think he sold out anything in the mission president's handbook. He didn't go rogue. He just was thoughtful enough to create a space for you, recognizing who you are. And, and instead of putting you into a nice, making you a round peg in a square hole, he just saw your beautiful roundness and said, let's, we're using him. And the fruits of who you are were evident by how people felt about you. And I'll be honest, Josh, our church is worse off without you. And I recognize it's really hard to be LGBTQ and be a Latter-day Saint. And I support you. This isn't a, guilt trip to have you come back. 
this is just the practical insight into we lose really good people that are LGBTQ that could bring significant contributions to our faith. And I hope for more light and understanding to create more of a place for you, a feeling of belonging, kind of what your mission president did in some ways to help you who you are, including your sexual orientation, be be needed. It's part of Paul's body of Christ in Corinthians 12. I'll read both. Um, Josh and I became aware of, with David Archuleta coming out yesterday as LGBTQ and um, but I'll just read, I don't want to turn this to the David Archuleta coming out podcast. This is about Josh, but I'll just read something from his Instagram. I've tried for almost 20 years to try and change myself until I realized God made me how I am for a purpose. And instead of hating what I consider wrong, I need to see why God loved me for who I am. Um, and it's not just sexuality. So many other traits of who I've come from, how I've been created. and so. I think you're at the point, Josh, where you look at who you are and you're glad the way God created you. Um, and being LGBTQ is is pretty hard in a strict heteronormative world. That's the vocabulary people have taught me. I think um and you it's on, it. it's on us to create a feeling of belonging for you. Um obviously you can't do anything to be straight, and God I don't think wants you to be straight. <laughs> um, so we just have work to do. And I I as a faithful Latter-day Saint can sit with my belief in the church and not, but, but, and that we have much more work to do for LGBT because we're worse off. We have to look inward and realize that Josh is just a great human being. Um, and it's pretty hard road. He walks and I'm just glad you're alive. I'm glad you have God in your life. And maybe that's partly your parents and your mission prison and you that, that even that you've taken God with you in your journey. I think he's with you, Josh. I think he's behind this book. I think it blesses his children. I think faith coming into your life and her skills merged with your skills to create this book is all part of, you know, working through you to heal people. That's how God works. Just like those two, those two high school girlfriends um, drove up that night on the Virgin River and saved your life. That's what you're doing with others. Um, I'd like to thank, you know, our common friend, Laura Ludlow Eldridge. She was the one that reached out to me. That's somebody you know. There's Laura Ludlow before she married Tanner Eldridge, a young man in our neighborhood, and she loves you and thought it'd be great for you to be on the podcast. And my daughter-in-law, so within the same hour that day, um, got a text message saying, you got to get Josh on your father-in-law's podcast. So a lot of people love you, Josh, and I'm really glad we did this podcast. But um, I believe the Kickstarter, you says, closes on July 2nd. Is that right? Uh, July 6th. I think you 6th. said July yep. 6th. So, right? So, you've got through the 4th of July, listeners. July 6th. Um, it's a big number to raise, but you're well on your way. Um, so, I'll just turn it back to you for any concluding thoughts about the Kickstarter or anything else you want to share. No, I really appreciate that. And I... I have been ridiculed a lot uh, in the cities. Uh, I lived in Seattle for three years. I went back to London and lived there for, I've lived in some big cities since then. And the friends that I have there, um, they, I've definitely been ridiculed for me openly. Like I will openly admit on the book that I still believe in God and that I know, like I hate, I hate the, to, 
cliche Lady Gaga and still her phrase, but Born This Way is a song that speaks to me in loud terms, mainly because it came out on my mission and I remember buying it on my mission. Um, but it, it is definitely, I know he loves me no matter, like I don't think he condones bad behavior, but I know he loves me for who I am. And so all those years of trying to pray the gay away, uh, no, I didn't need to do that. I know, I know he made me the way I am, and I know there's not answers for that um, at the moment, but I know that one day there will be. That's what I have hope and faith in. So, And this book um, definitely was inspired. Um, I had many nights that I can truthfully say uh, I was awakened and I take ambient I'm like I knock myself out so the fact that something can wake me up and I grab a sheet of pen and you know a pen and some paper and write down what I'm feeling I there are definitely things that I give credit to God for and this book is so important and I just really hope that we can get it out there and get it you know get it published and I know that I know that it's expensive but I'm not making any profit of it off it. Um, it is, in fact, I've, I'm way in the hole, but I have all that money. I've just said, this is my sweat equity and this is me giving back and hoping it can help. It will help so many individuals and even more like it will, might be able to help families of those that don't quite understand or see that. It's important for both sides to see that and have it be written in that friendly way. So yeah, visit Kickstarter and just type in out, not in, and you'll see it. And like I said, you can donate anywhere from a dollar up to whatever amount you would like. But $25 will get you a book and that allows us to give away two bucks. So I'm really, really proud of it. So we're hoping to reach that, but thank you for having me. Like. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. I really appreciate people like you, and it means a lot. Well, thanks, Josh, your friend for life. And and it's brave people like you that come forward and share their stories that make this podcast go. Um, Ten to 15,000 people listen to every episode, and it's helping a lot of people. And it's a platform to connect people um, with the work you're doing and others are doing. So I'm glad just to be able to provide that service. So this is Josh Pedersen, P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N. That's the Danish spelling. And Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.